We are continuing our series in Paul's letter to the Colossian church. And if you would turn to chapter 1 and follow along with me, please, beginning in verse 24, as I read the word of God. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints." To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your word is life to us. Your word speaks to us, and we ask that you would give us the ability and grace to hear you speak. Lord, we thank you that you have rescued us and saved us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into your marvelous light that we can call you Father and we can call Jesus friend. Lord, this morning as we once again study your words, Our desire is to see your name glorified. Our desire is to be affected by you and your speaking and your spirit working. So Lord, please take this time now and use it to edify your church, this church that you love. And you died for. And we ask this in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. And this morning in Paul's letter to the Colossian church, we have both situations here. One, that there is a difficult passage to interpret. And secondly, the, the content of the passage. Um, there is one verse here that is not only difficult to interpret, it's stumped many theologians much, much smarter than me. And, and then there's this overall content and interpretation of this passage that I fear might be, appear to you to be self-serving because it is the topic of pastoral ministry. And so I am standing up here today very um, aware that I am going to be talking about myself and Devin a lot. And that is because that is the thrust and content and context of Paul's letter here in this section to the Colossian church. But no matter, it's still God's word. And you trust, I trust you know my heart. I'm not looking to honor myself. Uh, In fact, I find this verse wonderfully uh, timely as we prepare for Devin's upcoming ordination. Uh, This passage provides, I believe, a helpful and instructive insight into what your pastors are called to do. Now, the Colossian church, by way of review, has been under attack from false teachers who have been teaching that spiritual perfection can only be attained by a privileged few. Different false teachers have offered secret or mysterious ways to these privileged few on how to reach a special place of perfection and elite status with God. And although this attempt to divert the genuine believers in Colossae Uh, to divert them away from the simple truth of the gospel appears not to be taking hold in much way. In verse uh, 5 of of chapter 2, Paul writes, For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul was aware that even in the midst of the false teachers teaching that the Colossians were in some respects standing firm and not being drawn into this controversy, but yet he was aware of the possibility of that happening, and so that's why he's writing. And so he pastorally and he wisely intervenes through this letter to ensure that they won't go down that road, that they won't develop this desire for a special or elite status with God as though that is actually possible. And so Paul writes this letter. He wants to increase, he wants to strengthen their knowledge of Christ so that they can remain firm in the faith. And it is why, just a few verses earlier, Paul describes the incomparable Christ, what we read this morning in verses 15 through 22. He describes a Savior that nothing or no one can compare to. So this morning, the title of my message is simply Ministry and Maturity, Ministry referring to me and Devin, and Maturity referring to you. 
And my proposition is a faithful pastor, or pastors in this case, will lead his or their church into a growing knowledge of Christ and an unequaled treasure of the gospel. A knowledge of Christ and a knowledge of the unequaled treasure of his gospel. So I have two points this morning, one in which I'm going to spend the majority of my time, and that is, and that is this. It is the unique privilege and responsibility of pastoral ministry, and that's point number one, a pastor's unique privilege. Paul purposefully highlights his ministry call before the Colossian church in an effort to refute these false teachers that have attempted to lead these Colossian believers away from the gospel. Throughout Paul's ministry, he continually comes under attack. His apostolic ministry is questioned. His preaching comes under question. His gospel comes under question. And Paul, having never actually been to Colossae, the the church was planted by Epaphras who was led to Christ by Paul. And so Paul feels as though he's a father to this church. He loves this church. This church is a result of the gospel ministry that God called him to. And so Paul has a more than just a vested interest in this church. Throughout Paul's writings, we see that he sees this church as a nursing mother would see her child. He carries a concern for this church daily on his heart. And so Paul is compelled to write these letters to refute these teachers who offer philosophies that look nothing like genuine Christianity, look nothing like the gospel that Paul that Paul preached to Epaphras and into in that area and made its way into this city. These men, these false teachers, are not pastors who care for the flock. They're not men who shepherd the people of God, but rather they are charlatans who are promoting a way of life that is not attainable. They're promoting a way of life that is not found anywhere in Scripture. And so Paul wisely puts up against these false teachers his ministry, his calling as a pastor. It it is meant to do both. One, to, to give authority and weight to Paul's letter to the Colossian church, but secondly, to support the local pastoral team in that city to define for the Colossians what pastoral ministry looks like and for them to have a love and a respect for Epaphras and the other men who are pastoring alongside of him so that the Colossian church will not go astray. And so Paul, as a loving pastor, he writes, he writes this letter totally opposite of the elite status and special privilege and secret knowledge that is being sold to these Colossian believers is the life, is the life of one who has lived for Christ, is the life of a pastor and all that it entails. And so Paul uses his life as an example, and he gives three hallmarks of what 
his pastoral ministry. And I believe three hallmarks of the average pastor's life looks like. And the first one under this first point is this, suffering for Christ and his church. Verse 24, Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul is aware that his sufferings lack in comparison to Christ's suffering. Now this verse is considered one of the most difficult verses in all of Scripture to interpret. And I am tempted to pass quickly over this verse. Um, Some commentators have wrongly believed that Jesus' suffering was insufficient. And that's why Paul wrote this verse. That's what he's saying here, that Christ's afflictions weren't enough to fulfill the atoning work he needed to do, and so more affliction needed to happen. That is totally untrue. It is totally wrong. Jesus' atoning work was fully sufficient, fully sufficient for our redemption and for our salvation. So that is not what Paul is saying here. What it appears Paul is saying here is that in his communion with Christ, in his fellowship with Christ, which is the same for us. Christ's sufferings are to be his sufferings. He is saying that the afflictions of Christ that are lacking are afflictions the church has yet to experience, that the church has not come near the afflictions that our Savior experienced, the sufferings that our Savior experienced, and that as church goes on as life goes on for the believer from the first day of church until the return of Christ, that there will be suffering and that suffering is a part of church life. It's a part of the Christian life. It's a part primarily of a pastor's life and that Paul is filling up in his life what has been lacking. Philippians 3.10, Paul writes, He says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes with, uh, it's just stunning what he writes in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. And then he goes on to say this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. There is the interpretation of this verse. This is the life 
of a believer, but it is mostly, it is a life of a pastor. The constant rhythm of Paul's life, the constant rhythm of Paul's life was a suffering that resulted in fruitfulness. And that's how Paul saw it. That's how pastors see it. Now, Paul is not a masochist who enjoys pain, but he is a pastor who loves the gospel fruit he sees from his suffering. Paul connects that the sufferings that he experiences on behalf of Christ lead to gospel fruit in those he is pastorally caring for. And as a pastor, and as Devin and I pastor this church, we are fully aware that not only do we not meet up to Christ's afflictions, we come nowhere near Paul's afflictions, but we do experience suffering on behalf of the church because that is what we are called to. And it is not suffering that we publicly proclaim. It is simply a part of pastoral ministry. It is, Paul even writes in Colossians 1, he starts in verse 24, which is still amazing verse. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. Why does Paul find joy in his sufferings? He finds joy in his sufferings because he sees the fruitfulness that they bring to his gospel ministry. Paul emphasizes joy in his suffering independent of his circumstances. Independent of his circumstances. Paul doesn't find joy in pain. He finds joy independent of his circumstances that what he suffers furthers the gospel, extends gospel ministry, advances the gospel in the lives of churches like the one at Colossae, in churches like the one at Ephesus and Philippi, churches that have suffered or churches that have really been under attack. And he sees that as he suffers on their behalf and he proclaims the gospel, fruit develops and lives are changed. Now, if I am standing where I should as a pastor, if Devin stands where he should as a pastor, we will suffer. We are uniquely called by God to suffer on behalf of the church. Over 34 years in ministry life that I've, I've had, I have suffered in a number of ways that would only happen because I am a pastor. Accusation and slander lies that have been told about me. Uh, things that you would no, know about and don't need to know about. This, And I don't say this to draw your sympathy at all, but to help you understand the unique privilege, the unique privilege I feel when I experience Christ's suffering and the suffering that my wife experiences when she sees her husband 
come under attack. Suffering as a pastor does not place me in the category of someone special or heroic, but simply in the category as one who is trying to be faithful to what God has called me to do. And Paul lived a life of suffering. This letter is written from a Roman prison. This letter is coming from a man who is in prison for his faith, who will eventually experience the ultimate in suffering as he is beheaded. Paul understands what gospel ministry is all about and what inspires me to persevere and endure in what little suffering I experience is my belief and trust that God not only has a glorious purpose in that, but that Jesus is actually aware of my suffering, and he is aware of your suffering. You see, as I suffer as a Christian, I'm not unique or alone. My role creates a unique place to suffer, but as a genuine believer, you are called to suffer. And everyone in this room who calls upon the name of Christ will suffer. Now, that is not an appealing evangelistic message. Come to Christ and suffer. Now, come to faith in Christ and experience eternal life. And the suffering that you experience only strengthens you and keeps you firm in moving towards that day where you'll stand before the throne of God and Christ will appear on your behalf. Now, if you are here this morning and you are not a believer, you are not a Christian, you have not put your faith in Christ, you, you, have a, you have an opportunity this morning. You have a choice because, you see, you, you're going to suffer either way. You can suffer for Christ or you can suffer for not knowing Christ. And on that final day, that will be a suffering that is not temporal but eternal. The suffering that we experience as believers is temporal. And the offer of eternal life is what we are being given for those who come to faith in Christ. Paul understands what it means to suffer as a pastor. Now, in the Life Application Commentary, the author wrote this. He said, what Paul suffered, Christ suffered, because Paul was a member of Christ's body on earth. What Christ began as suffering with his persecution and rejection on earth, all believers complete in continuing his body on earth. Suffering comes as an inevitable consequence of believing in Christ and may be unavoidable for those who bring the good news to the world. Suffering, affliction, 
and persecution, therefore, come naturally as a part of the process for building up Christ's church. But this suffering should be cause for rejoicing. Suffering does not mean that Christ is losing ground, but that he's gaining it, and that the present age is passing away to eventually herald in the age to come when Christ will reign. Oh, our, our suffering, my suffering as a pastor, is not about losing ground. Christ isn't losing ground. He's gaining ground. It's moving the church forward till that day. That is the first hallmark of pastoral ministry is suffering for Christ. And please, Devin and I would be the first to tell you, don't feel sorry for us or sympathy for us. It's our privilege, our unique privilege to stand on the front lines, to serve as shepherds who are called to guard the flock of God as Jesus says, to protect you, to stand on behalf of you, to pray for you. Our privilege is to serve the flock of God. And so whatever minor sufferings we experience, it's a privilege to do so. The second hallmark of pastoral ministry is struggling for Christ on behalf of the church. Look at verse 29. Paul writes, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Verse 1 of chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. In verse 25, the ESV uses the word minister. Paul writes, of which I became a minister. But it comes from the word servant. Pastoral ministry, the struggle and labor of pastoral ministry is grounded in the biblical truth that that men who are called to pastor, to lead God's church, are called to be servants. And our service comes with toil and struggle. Mark 10:45 Jesus said or Mark writes Jesus Christ came not to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said I came not to be served but to serve. Paul served by laboring towards the goal of this. If you look in verse 27 to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul served by laboring towards the goal of presenting every man, every man mature in Christ. Now, Paul uses that phrase, every man, three times in one verse for a purpose because the false teachers were, were promoting the idea that only a few could experience the special elite relationship with God. And Paul says, no, 
Every man needs to be warned. Every man and woman needs to be taught. Every man and woman needs to be mature, to be presented as mature in Christ. And this is what Paul labors for. This is what I labor for. This is what I labor for on Sundays and every day to present you mature in Christ. That is my responsibility. It's not because I'm special. I am one of the every man. It's not because I have some elite knowledge of God. I don't. Gosh, if anyone has elite knowledge of God, it's the PhD candidate, Devin Coughlin, among us. I'm a, I'm a former PE major. That's as good as it gets around here. I, I'm aware I'm not the brightest bulb in the box, but I'm your pastor, and I love you. And my labor, my toil, my struggle is to present you, to present every one of you as mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all my energy that God, who is powerfully at work within me, is working. God is the one doing it through me. It's not my own personal abilities. Obviously, it is God at work within me to present you. Now, the word struggle here in the Greek is the word agon, where we get the word agony. It refers to an athletic event where the Greeks were agonizing in their competition, where my braves are agonizing in their competition. Hence, I bought a Washington Nationals hat the other day. <laughs> Both toil and struggle describe hard, physical, mental striving and, and conflict. Pastoral ministry is not simple and it's not easy. Um, Paul struggled against false teaching. He struggled against accusation. He struggled with physical suffering and persecution and heartache. He struggled with desertions. He struggled with slander. He struggled with gossip and his daily concern for the churches. Just, just so you're aware, and, and I, I say this to communicate to you my heart because I, because I love every one of you. Um, I've been in pastoral ministry for 34 years, so this has happened many, many times. Um, but when someone leaves your church, that is one of the most painful experiences a pastor faces. It's, and it's not a desertion on the person's part. Uh, for whatever reason, God is, is moving them in a different direction. But it's painful to see somebody leave. It's painful when they sometimes leave with accusation, with disappointment in you. Um, and there's things that we learn as pastors where we're called to grow from those experiences. But, but yeah, uh, in our toil and struggle, it's hard work. Um, uh, again, you know, for me, uh, there, there are some guys who can put together a Sunday message in a matter of hours. Um, I mean, it takes me days to do this. I have to toil and struggle. I, I need lots of help 
um, from God's spirit and from smarter men than me to, to do this. And that's good because it makes me, it makes me work and, and God uses that to refine me. Paul was toiling and struggling in, <clears throat> he toiled and struggled through the letters he wrote to protect the churches. He prayed, he traveled when he could, he taught, he sent others on behalf for, for one purpose, that he might present everyone mature in Christ. Now, that is a privilege to, to do that. Paul's unique calling extended beyond just this church at Colossae because he was trying to present all the churches mature in Christ. Thankfully, I have just one church that I'm called to present as mature in Christ. Devin and I are privileged to struggle on your behalf. We don't do it begrudgingly. We don't do it reluctantly. We do it because we genuinely love and respect you. And we want to serve you as Paul wants to serve the Colossian church here. And because we are fiercely committed to presenting you mature in Christ, we will be following this passage in verse 28. We will be proclaiming Christ to you. We will be warning you. We will be teaching you so that we can present you as mature in Christ. The hallmark of a pastor's privilege is to suffer, to struggle, as Paul does here. And let me say this, you are called to toil and struggle as well as believers. You are called to serve in the body of Christ. You are called to contend for the faith. And it's going to be hard work you. And there are days when you are just not feeling it, and you have to toil and struggle for your relationship with the Lord, where you go into your quiet time and you think, this is just an absolute bore. This word is, just reading this is like putting sand in my mouth. My prayers seem to bounce on the ceiling and back to me, and it I just, you know what? I think I'll just go watch TV. That is the temptation. And yet, you too are called to toil and to struggle and to contend for your faith in Christ and for the faith in Christ. As your pastors, we are uniquely privileged and grateful that we have the opportunity to suffer, the opportunity to struggle. And thirdly, the opportunity to speak of Christ to the church. That's the third point, speaking for Christ to his church. Now, speaking, and Paul sees his letters as speaking, speaking is the centerpiece of Paul's ministry. And it is the centerpiece of my and and Devin's ministry. To Paul, there is no greater responsibility and calling than to show these people Christ in the scriptures so that they might become mature in him. 
verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. For you to make the word of God fully known. So that you will become mature. So that you will understand, Paul writes in verse 26, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. That you would understand this mystery. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, which probably most of you are, You are this young Jewish guy talking to you, telling you you are Gentiles, but welcome to the fold. Uh, to them, God made, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is this mystery? As a Gentile, what is the mystery? It's Christ in you the hope of glory. Paul preached a true gospel. Paul preached a true gospel to present every man mature. Paul proclaimed the mystery of Christ. He proclaimed his incarnation, his sinless life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and he preached this gospel and only this gospel. And he, he says that here to refute these teachers, but to also warn and teach and present everyone mature in Christ. For you to be mature in Christ, this is what you must learn. You must fully know the Scriptures. You must be taught wisdom. You must be taught. You must be warned at times so that you will be presented as mature in Christ of all the hallmarks, of all the hallmarks of pastoral ministry, the preaching of God's word is the highest and most important and most critical. It is in the preaching of God's word that true pastoral ministry takes place. My most effective pastoral care in the life of this church is not counseling appointments and conversations, although they are significantly important. What is most important is showing you Christ in the scriptures. I have no higher calling. Devin has no higher calling than that. Our preaching is to be no different than Paul's. We are called to, in verse 24, teach you how to rejoice in suffering. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. In verse 25, teach you about Christ that he might be fully known. And that's why Paul wrote in verses 15 through 20, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And he goes on to describe the incomparable Christ. We are called to teach you the gospel so that the truths won't be hidden, but available to you that you can apply them to your life in verse 26. The mystery hidden for all the ages and generations, but now revealed to you. That's what we're called to do, is to reveal this mystery. In verse 27, to teach you truth so you might know the riches of the glory of Christ. 
There's a treasure chest filled with riches that many believers, not just a few, but many believers never open and see the riches of the inheritance they have in Jesus Christ. And it's because they do not fully know his word. They do not fully know him. We are called to teach you the truth of the riches of the glory of Christ. In verse 28, we're to proclaim Christ to you, to warn you, to teach you, so that we can present you mature. We're called to teach you in verse 2, too, that you might be united to Christ and knit together. Paul writes in verse 1 of chapter 2, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. That is why we teach. Not just that you would grow individually as a Christian, but that you will grow corporately as a body here at Grace Church. You can't have one without the other. You just can't have an individual Christianity where you're growing by yourself. Scripture makes it clear that you are to grow in fellowship and in corporate life together in the body of Christ. And and you grow, most importantly, I believe, here on Sunday morning. We are to teach you the treasures of Christ that the gospel may be yours. In verse 4, we're to teach you that you will be protected and have wisdom and discernment from false teaching. We are, in verse 5, to teach you so that you will stand firm and be firm in your faith in Christ. That's what teaching is about. That's what I am called to do. That's what Devin is called to do as your pastor. In our day and age, brothers and sisters, way too many Christians proclaim unwisely that doctrine divides and that all we need to do is just love one another. The very thing we need is sound doctrine. We must have a true theological knowledge of God so that the things that I just listed become real and applied in your life. Paul laid a doctrinal foundation in verses 15 through 20 so that when he speaks of the gospel of Christ, they look back to this incomparable Christ who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from the dead. In chapter 1 alone, Paul has taught doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching. He's, taught, he's given a teaching on the preeminence of Christ, the local church, the study of Scripture, pastoral ministry, salvation, the gospel, prayer, sanctification, suffering, and the incarnation, all in just chapter 1. This is why Sunday mornings are so essential to your spiritual growth. We must... We must, you must never minimize, minimize or marginalize the necessity of sitting under preaching, live preaching of God's word, because it's preaching that we hear together. The primary venue for your instruction is here, fully knowing God here, listening to God speak through preaching, even preaching that is sometimes average. The preacher's five-year-old daughter noticed her dad always paused and bowed his head for a moment before starting his sermon. One day she asked him why. Well, honey, he began so proud that his daughter was so observant of his messages. I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. Well, then she asked, how come he doesn't do it? 
<laughs> I can sometimes feel like that. Devin and I do not carry the same gifting as John Piper or CJ or Sinclair Ferguson. But I love what George Whitfield said. He said, he said it best this when he said, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. That's what you're getting on Sunday mornings. That's why you're here on Sunday mornings. It's why you need to be here on Sunday mornings. It's why we gather together on Sunday mornings. This is the most important day of the week for all of us, myself included. Every week you leave this building, every week you leave this building, I desire and you should be more aware of the incomparable Christ more aware of the treasures of the gospel, more desirous of knowing Christ and more committed to God's people because you've been instructed in God's word. Amen. I don't care. I hope you never say about me or Devin, what a preacher. All I ever hope you say is what a savior when you leave here. And there's another benefit to sitting under God's word. So you and I will not only love Christ more, but love each other more. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Being together is what knits us together in love because we are learning and understanding and grasping the full assurance of Christ together. And we are coming alongside of one another, encouraging one another, supporting one another, serving one another. This time we have together, fellowshipping with Christ through his word and through song is also a time where we fellowship directly with one another. Listen, please, this is my appeal to you because you are a serving church. You are a sacrificing church. Please don't ever come to church simply because you have a commitment to serve in a particular area. I'm so grateful for your faithfulness in that regard. But your purpose in coming to church on Sunday is far loftier than serving in children's ministry. It's far loftier than greeting somebody on Sunday morning. It's far loftier than, than playing in the worship team. It's far loftier and much more important. You come here with the purpose of meeting Christ through his word and being united to his church. These are the hallmarks Devin and I are privileged to do on your behalf, to suffer and struggle and speak. And as I said, we don't do it begrudgingly. We do it willfully and we do it joyfully. We do it thankfully that God has privileged us to have this call and this role in our life. Now, let me close with this. There is actually a second point because you have a responsibility as well. The first point was the pastor's unique privilege. But as a believer, I want you to leave here today aware of the unequaled treasure you have in Christ. As a believer, you have this unequaled treasure that you are to pursue. And Paul writes here that he wants you to 
fully know the Word of God. He wants you to be warned. He wants you to be taught. He wants to be able to present you mature in Christ. He wants you to be knit together in love. He wants you to have full assurance of the understanding of God's mystery of Christ in you. He wants you to be in good order and firm in your faith. That only happens first if you're here. Secondly, if you listen. Not just hear, but you listen. And thirdly, if you apply. The unequaled treasure you have in Christ is the gospel. It's the knowledge of Christ. It's the gift of fellowshipping with one another. That's the unequaled treasure you experience when you come here or you're in care group or you're, you're gathering together. But I want you to grow in your love for Sunday mornings and all that that entails. I want you to grow in your love for preaching. I want you to grow in your love for knowledge. I want you to grow in your love to fellowship. I want you to grow and seek to be knit together in the love of Christ. That's my pastor's heart for you. Let's pray. Father, you, you make all this possible. You make all this possible because you love us. Lord, you make all this possible because you suffered for us. You struggled for us. You speak to us because you are the good shepherd. You are the ultimate pastor. You love your church. You've sacrificed for your church. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, you would allow this truth to be real among Grace Church. Father, help us to be a church that suffers well for the gospel. Help us to be a church that struggles to see others come to faith in Christ and our friends around us grow in Christ. And help us to be a church that speaks boldly for Christ. Lord, make these truths come alive in all of us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.